For so many modern driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies and then a successful coaching and online course business. But for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. We're here to share an insider's peek into the strategies and mental resilience it takes to create and run six and seven figure online businesses. As women entrepreneurs, only 2% of us will ever earn a million dollars. We've done it ourselves and we're on a mission to help you reach financial independence by chronicling our journey and sharing our proven playbook. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow a business and build a life that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the new podcasts that drop every single Tuesday. Welcome to the And She Spoke podcast. On today's episode, we welcome Abigail Pumphrey, co-founder and CEO of Boss Project. Boss Project is an all-in-one creative digital agency to help grow your online revenue. Abigail is passionate about helping her clients reach financial freedom. We have long followed Boss Project because originally they were a partnership just like us. We related to them so much because there were so few examples of two women partners running million-dollar online companies. Recently, one of the partners left, and Abigail has taken full ownership of Boss Project. She shares with us what it was like to transition from partnership to CEO. Abigail is also the now solo host of the Strategy Hour podcast. We asked her, what does it take to have a growing viral podcast? And she shares so much wisdom in detail on what she does every week to make her show at the top of the charts. For the podcasters out there, you'll need a pen and a notebook for this one. Let me now introduce you to Abigail Pumphrey. Okay, well, Abigail, we're so happy to have you on our podcast. Welcome to Angie Spoke. Well, thank you so much for having me. Hey, Abigail. So welcome. We have actually talked about having you on the show for a long time. So we're super happy that you're here. We have followed your journey for many years, partly because, I mean, of course you do great work, but also because you started in a partnership and now you are solo. So we want to dive into that, but also you've built this incredible business. Can you, for people who don't know you or aren't familiar with your work, do you want to just give us the snapshot of your business and who you are? Yeah, I'm Abigail Pumphrey. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Boss Project. This business started eight years ago, initially as a branding and marketing boutique that I started out of Kansas City. We were working with mostly local small businesses on their branding and websites and other design projects. I met the person that would become my business partner in a Facebook group. We quickly hit it off collaborated on a couple of projects and within a handful of months started 
publicly selling our services together. We like to say that we were quick to get engaged and we took a long time before we got married. So we looked and participated out in the world like we were officially business partners for several years before we actually made it legal and official. Prior to that, she was my contractor and we ran the business partnership for Oh gosh, I'd have to look at what the dates are for maybe like six of the eight years were like official and legally partners. And then this summer she was ready to move on and start pursuing a career in novel writing. And so we made some adjustments and went through negotiations and ended up parting ways from a like business and legal perspective. And I have been running the business ever since. But in terms of what we do, this business in the way that it exists today is really focused on helping small business owners from around the world build profitable and sustainable businesses online. And our mission is to help those online business owners become financially free. And so we specifically develop tools and strategies and are there to support small businesses everywhere from getting started and getting their business off the ground to operating ethically, creating an incredible client experience, and then ultimately hiring and scaling a team and kind of everywhere along that spectrum. So we've been in the education space pretty much all of those eight years, but the agency side has kind of ebbed and flowed throughout our time on the internet. (laughs) So what, like I work with Jenny for all these years and I talk to her almost every day Mm -hmm. and I would just love to hear from you having a partner that left Mm -hmm. what personally, like, what was that like, like to just sort of one day when it was all legally done one day, it is just Abigail and this team and this company, like, how did you tell me? Well, it's definitely a wild experience, not one I could have really prepared myself for before it happened because I mean, you just don't really know what you don't know. And Mm -hmm. I think the part that has been the strangest, perhaps, was taking back over roles and responsibilities that I hadn't done in many years and feeling a need to catch up on best practices and really understand what was going on in different areas of the business, not just internally, but also like how are other businesses doing it? What is being successful for other people look like in this area of the business? Because for the last several years, I've been very focused on the financial and business development side where we're working on making sure we have an incredible client experience. I'm making sure we're handling the cash flow of the business. I'm supporting clients really on the strategy and delivery part of what we're doing, but it wasn't necessarily guiding the marketing for the business Mm -hmm. or driving new leads for the business. And while I definitely participated from like a marketing perspective, I was on the podcast, I was in webinars and those sorts of things, it wasn't something I was involved in the planning, investigating new tools, you know, looking at what other businesses were doing. And so I think the biggest shift for me personally was kind of reopening my eyes to this, like, you know, your business isn't just this one aspect. 
But for most small businesses, you do have to know mm-hmm. a little bit things. about a yeah. lot. <laughs> and I have had the pleasure of scaling a business where I got to focus on more specific aspects. But that's not necessarily true for the majority of my audience or the majority of the businesses we serve. And so it's definitely been a good practice for me to get my feet wet all over again. I still don't totally have my schedule sorted. I still feel like I'm doing too much and there isn't enough time in a week to do everything I want to do, but we'll get there. And it's, it's all kind of sorting itself out a day at a time. Yeah. So I think that makes perfect sense. And you know, a lot of businesses and a lot of companies in the online space have made really dramatic changes and shifts first when COVID happened and then now kind of in the wake of COVID. And I'm just wondering for you, what is your experience like in terms of long-term planning? Like how do you go from planning with someone, I guess, to planning now as a solo founder with a team? Are you relying more on coaching or like on a coach to work with you? Are you just sort of like going internal? Do you have any advice? We have a lot of a lot of clients who are solo founders, you know, we're sort of an anomaly ourselves as partners because, you know, that almost never works. It almost never works out and <laughs> almost never sticks for a long period of time. No, yeah, I so, totally get it. Yeah. So we have our systems, but they're not necessarily applicable to anyone else. And so I'm just wondering now that you have, I mean, you started out solo and then now you're solo again, kind of what is your process, I guess, for thinking through your goals and your business and kind of short, medium, long-term, what does that look like for you now? Yeah. So, you know, ultimately for a business to be successful, you need to be looking at three kind of lengths of time. If you're in that CEO or like founder seat, you need to be thinking about what's happening today, this week, what's happening in that like kind of three month quarterly snapshot. And then at least a year in advance, sometimes two to five years in advance, kind of depending on what you're building towards or how big of a vision you have for what you're working on. And I think the more you delegate, that you will likely hold on to the bigger pieces of the vision where you focus primarily on the longer term deliverables and you have a team to help you handle day to day and like get through the launches that are three months out or whatever. But kind of taking it all back in, I have had to balance what do I need to do right now? What do I need to do in this moment? And because I was taking it back on, there wasn't like runway. Like I no longer previously, we could be two weeks, four weeks, six weeks out and like plan content or develop content or whatever. And like when things kind of swapped, first of all, we were in the weeds, just handling a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes that focusing on what we were producing outward was just not something we had time for. So it was to the point where I was like, I don't know what's happening an hour from now. (laughs) And so like slowly inking forward on what I was working on. But in terms of processing, you know, I'm very lucky to have a team that is incredibly generous with their time and they listen to what I have to say and are excited to execute And I also know that my team, while they will push back to an extent on some things, they also tend to just really cheer me on. So they're not necessarily going to give me 
the dissemination of like, let's not do this because of these reasons. And so it is really on me to really think through, does this make sense financially? Do we have the capacity to do this? Do we have the tools to do this? Do we have the staff to pursue it? I have to really think through those logistics. And so, you know, some of it has been just me. And for me, in terms of how I've been doing it, it has been primarily via writing. So like I will free flow write and I've probably written almost 400 pages in the last three months of just thoughts, ideas, concepts, some things that'll turn into a webinar, some things that'll turn into a podcast, vision, who we're talking to, what does our product suite look like, all of it. Because in a lot of ways, when you're at this kind of precipice of everything's changing, but nothing's changing. It's a really good time to audit where you're at, what's been working, what hasn't been working, and what do you want to maintain and how do you want to go from here? So free flow writing has been the easiest way for me to do that. And then I will end up taking what is probably gibberish to most other people (laughs) and disseminating that down. And so I've had probably two larger vision meetings with my team at this point. They both had about eight to 10 pages worth of content that I wanted to update them on and let them know, here are my thoughts. That being said, because I don't have a partner in that total leadership position, I am bringing my team in sooner than I did previously. So I'm not necessarily waiting for the ideas to be as developed or as thought out. I am bringing things in when things could still very much shift or things could still very much change. But here's my thoughts and ideas in a more collapsed, condensed (laughs) version that's easy to understand. And they help me try and test things. So My goal is never to marry an idea, but really to experiment with it and see what's going to work. And so I've just been taking a lot of time to try different messaging strategies, try different marketing strategies, and test before I'm fully committed to much of anything. And the team really helps me do that. And what does that team look like for you right now? So we're really condensed at the moment that we had some reorg stuff that happened as part of the leadership changes, but also some things at the beginning of the year. So we're down to a team of four and we're all very full time. (laughs) Um, I definitely think we'd more comfortably at six, but there was so many changes. It didn't make sense to also hire and train someone in the midst of everything. But we have my operations assistant. She runs the podcast. She puts it through production. She handles all of the things we need to have happen with our editor who's outside. So I'm only counting full-time staff. We have a bunch of additional contractors outside of that. So she's working with our editing team to make sure show notes get produced and the podcast gets posted on time and all of that. She also works with our agent who negotiates contracts for ad spots on the podcast. She keeps us organized in inbox, handles customer service inquiries, project manages, handles a lot of the documentation and process things that are happening behind the scenes. Then we have Caitlin, who is our program manager and creative director. 
she is both helping bring things to life, like redesigning websites that we have, but also focuses a lot on program delivery. So she's helping me with curriculum design and development, revisiting our programs and offers and really refining how we deliver what we do to make sure that it's both easy to understand, easy to absorb, and the most effective it possibly can be for our clients. The interesting thing is in a lot of ways, we're a design first company. Like I started as a designer, pretty much everyone has some sort of design background. And so Caitlin was a previous graphic designer. She actually started in graphic design in our company. So she additionally does design a lot of client deliverables and is still in that seat. And then Jared is our marketing manager. He is handling a lot of the communication that is happening internally and externally. Internally, he's handling all of our affiliate relationships, signing a lot of the contracts for those podcast spots, making sure, you know, where possible, if we're promoting, you know, like we add a new template to our template shop. If it's a Canva template that it's the links appropriately set up so that it's an affiliate link and all of that stuff. He's making sure our emails go out to the right segments and all of those things, as well as assisting on social media. But he is what I would like to call our resident encyclopedia. Like he has a ridiculous memory, which is great. So when our clients have problems or like challenges in their business, they can come to us in our community or in a coaching call and say, Hey, like I have this going on. And he is very resourced and finding the exact podcast we talked about or a blog post we wrote years ago and really aligning people with tools that are going to really help them get the best results the quickest. So when you run a small business, no one really has one role. Like you can give them a title that's one title, but they're going to sit in multiple departments. They're going to run different aspects of the business. And it's about aligning their skill set with what both the business needs, but also what are they going to be best at and most proficient in. And so it's pretty lean. Right now, I'm doing all of the podcast recording. I'm doing all of the writing for our emails, as well as web design projects and all of those things. So strategy, vision, still do the CFO stuff, you know, all the things that it takes to run the business. Well, let's talk more about your podcast. How long have you had it? How many years? I think we're on year six or seven. I'm I'm not totally sure. I'd have to go back and figure that out. Okay. And so you've had some pretty tremendous growth on that mm-hmm. podcast, right? And yeah. what do you attribute that to? How did you grow it? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I think kind of lean into what makes an effective podcast. So I do want to acknowledge that I do think some of it is timing. Like I know a lot mm-hmm. of people will be like, it doesn't matter like when you started or whatever. And like, do I think there's still a ton of room and a ton of opportunity in the podcasting space? Absolutely. Like in terms of saturation, If you were to compare it to something like YouTube, there are far fewer podcasts than there is YouTubers. 
so in terms of getting noticed, there is a lot of opportunity there. That being said, I definitely joined at a time when women in business was not something that really existed. There was a handful. And when I say handful, I literally mean like less than five people producing podcasts that were targeting small businesses, targeting specifically women in business. And we were kind of first to the scene. And so we got a lot of notoriety then. We got a lot of cross-recommendation. So if someone listened to this show, they would recommend our show and vice versa. Not just like verbally, but also like in the app. Like if you were to listen on, I mean, most people were listening on Apple then. I think a lot of people have since switched to Spotify. But regardless, in terms of recommended shows, we would show up in recommendations. That being said, what has helped... I think make a big difference is really paying attention to what is going to attract people. And so treating podcast titles like they are an SEO rich title is really necessary because people are searching. There is a little bit of nuance to it, whereas like a blog title should be exactly what it is and very searchable. There is some, I don't want to say clickbait, but kind of like there is some like version of you got to sell it a little bit in the title itself. So yes, keywords, but also like mystery, like, oh, right. I want to interesting to curiosity. I'm, I'm what is yeah. that? I want to know yeah. more. So make sure you're balancing those two things is really critical in terms of getting downloads. You know, you have a lot of real estate with your podcast description that you can utilize and really pour into. And also your title, your title, there's this misconception that your title should just be the name of your show, but you can use keywords in your podcast title. So you can do the strategy hour, colon, dash, whatever marketing, comma, small business, comma, like whatever. You can put whatever you want there. So I have changed those occasionally. I probably am far overdue for an update on that specifically, but I know that has made a really big difference. That being said, I do want to put out there that for the majority, as in probably 95% of people who start or run a podcast, a podcast is primarily a nurture channel. It is not a discoverability channel for the majority. I have had the unique opportunity of being able to use it as a discovery tool in my business because it has ranked, because it has been highly popularized, because it has had viral moments. But for the majority of people who start a podcast, it is an opportunity for you to take people who are earlier on and getting to know you and really develop strong, deep connections that allow you to turn, you know, people who sort of know who you are into people who love what you do and can become incredible clients. And so I don't necessarily think the goal for people should be to break the algorithm and like figure out how to like make it this huge discoverability opportunity, mostly because there is so much mystery as to how Spotify and Apple even work. They Mm -hmm. are the least transparent companies out there in terms of how they pick things, 
And you would be shocked how many things now are human picked. Like even still, like the top charts and things, a lot of times it's who you know, it's wild. So you mean I, like websites that rank the top 10 business web uh, business No, I mean like literally for, in the app. So like, like podcast oh. apps, the like top and featured <laughs> oh, or see, like I featured see. in certain categories. A lot of those are curated by people who work at the companies. And so mm-hmm. getting noticed by those people, like I have no idea who those people are. So I have been ranked on ones that are focused on downloads. So like to rank in a category specific chart, it is based on new subscribers or downloads typically comparative to other people in your industry. And then they rank them by like, oh, they've had 2000 new subscribers this week, then they get to be in the top or or whatever. So unless you're ranking because you are performing really well, features are kind of a mystery. But I, I still think it can be a really, really powerful tool for converting people. It just changes the focus. Instead mm-hmm. of you trying to make your podcast grow by having the best titles, like have great titles. Th- that's still going to help. And know that you're going to have to drive traffic from somewhere else, whether that's from an email list, from another social platform or whatever. You need to tell people the podcast exists. and do so consistently, like mm-hmm. as in all the time, like, and it is like multiple. So where do you drive it from? So obviously you send an email to your list. Yeah. You're putting it out on Instagram. Where else are you telling people that a new episode has dropped? So for us, it is just our show notes. So a new show notes will show up on the website. We are emailing. That's fairly new. We oh, didn't is it really? You didn't... We didn't start emailing oh. until... Mm-hmm. In the last couple of months. And I was like, well, literally, mm-hmm. why have we not been doing this? So that's mm-hmm. wild. No, that, that was one of your decisions. Hey? <laughs> yeah, that was one of my decisions. Mm-hmm. And then yes, Instagram. I feel like we're not as great on Instagram. Like this is a do as I say, not as I do. I don't do mm-hmm. a great job of driving new traffic. I am lucky to have been doing this long enough that it has built a lot of steam all on its own. And I'm being rewarded for actions I took years ago. So right, like, yeah. Right. It's not necessarily what I did this mm-hmm. week. Like right. yeah. a lot of that work is things that I did two years ago that are right. still ranking and still performing and still giving mm-hmm. me traction. So do you think that the show notes on your website, like, are you effectively getting new people because of the SEO value of those show notes? So there's a little bit of a misconception about show notes. I do not necessarily think show notes drive listeners. Mm-hmm. However, they do drive traffic. And mm-hmm. so if we have a lot of people who will discover us through our show notes, so they're searching okay. for a problem okay, and they will come up with the podcast, but they land on there and then they'll probably end up on another page on our website. They might end okay. up joining our list and then like listening to the podcast becomes a thing that happens a little bit later in their journey. It's not necessarily yeah. like an immediate thing, but there's also like, it's very, very hard to tell because there like so few people listen to podcasts on a website right and mm-hmm. we are directly linking to the show so like yeah. you can go to the show notes page and theoretically abandon the page within 15 seconds to go away from my site 
So yeah, like, right. I don't really have any way of knowing. And I probably it's so never hard. Will. It's so hard to um, track. But I do think having show notes that are full of keywords has been a really big part of our growth for sure. Okay. And, and is have, that an agency that does that for you all that you yeah, don't do we, that yourself? We use We Edit Podcasts. So okay. I, oh, yeah, um, we do too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. So when we started, I just really wanted to prioritize it. So they can kind of do whatever you want them to do. But if you don't give them direction as to like what you want to structure your show notes like, you're just going to end up with some sort of standard template. But I went around and at the time investigated a ton of different podcasts that were very highly listened to and tried to figure out what were the kinds of sections they were including in their show notes so we could increase performance. And then we've just kind of used that as the formula ever since. I don't necessarily think our show notes are like perfectly written. Like I think they have a lot of room for improvement there, but that was not the goal for me. I don't really care if anyone reads the show. I don't know that people do. They go and they'll pop in to see maybe something that was mentioned or a link or something. Right. I'm not worried about them reading (laughs) them at all. If it drives traffic because we have the keyword on the page, great. They're way more likely to read other content on my site than they are to read show notes. So Okay. And Abigail, what about transcripts? Like, what is your opinion on including transcripts? I did for the first like 150 something episodes and our downloads were so low of the the transcripts Mm -hmm. because I wanted to monitor this. And this is one thing I could actually monitor. Yeah. And so we tracked all the link clicks to transcripts and it was measly. So that's not something we're prioritizing. I think from an accessibility standpoint, it is a really nice to have, mm-hmm. but there's just a lot of other ways people can get transcripts these days. Yeah. So, I think it's just going to be like an expected thing within the podcast apps. Like AI I agree. Gonna, I don't think it's necessarily going to be something you're required to do on your yeah. own. People aren't necessarily like leaving to go find the thing. Yeah. Yep, that yep. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're all fired up about your business until you have to go and market it, talk about it, promote it. All of that feels so heavy, hard, and overwhelming. We know that your business will flourish when you become comfortable promoting your work. And for that reason, we created Visible, a program that helps women amplify their voice in a world that tries to keep them quiet. Build an audience around your body of work and not just your body. So forget everything you've been taught about marketing. Visible is your fastest route to building an audience of raving fans that can turn into paying clients. Inside bonus, you can ignore trend alerts on Instagram. Join Visible today at joinvisible.co. Yeah, I think just in the Apple podcast experience and in the Spotify experience, it's just going to probably be real time AI generated. That's I've been kind of patiently watching and I don't know when, if or when it'll ever happen. Because a lot of this has to do with money and I don't love that. But Google, for example, they have the ability to crawl audio and they are using it for their own things. So if you have a long form YouTube video they're crawling that audio. And if you have a question and you answer it in audio form, even though it's technically part of a video, they can find the segment and put you at a timestamp and deliver that thing. They have not, even though I'm sure they could, 
They have not done the same thing for podcast audio, even if you're embedding it on your own site. So I've kind of been like waiting to see if and when the work that you do (laughs) audio wise will become Mm -hmm. also searchable. But so much of it comes back to the dollars and, you know, Apple and Google and Meta are kind of ahead on some of these things. And that makes it harder for creators who are taking advantage of all sorts of different services. Mm -hmm. What about prep? I would love to hear how things have changed for you from having a co-host to now doing episodes solo. What has changed for you when you go to prepare for an episode? Literally everything. <laughs> like I like literally everything. So before it was significantly more about what's the topic and like the general gist. And like if one of us had a really strong inkling about what we wanted to talk about, or maybe we wanted to like pose a question for the other host. One of us might have done more research than the other one. And the other one's just kind of surprised in real time on purpose, not necessarily unprepared, but wanting that really authentic kind of take. But now that it is primarily me, I have to spend a lot more time preparing because I don't feel comfortable just rambling for 45 minutes. I could do, I have tried a mix of like things that are completely scripted versus ones that are just outlined. And I think what's working best for me at the moment is kind of a mix. So I may have like the intro super scripted, but like the guts of it are a bit more loose. I'm still trying to figure out because I've done this for years. I'm on like episode 780. So I'm not new to like using my voice to like communicate things or have thoughtful conversations or even just ramble on for 45 minutes. Like that's not a (laughs) problem, but it is definitely a different skill set. And so I do feel like there's some areas in that arena where I I still have a lot of ways that I want to improve. And I'm not sure if my listeners care or even notice as much as I do, but like I can listen back and I'm like, oh, I sound nervous or like, Eh, that felt a little in a box or whatever. But I do listen. And I do think that's a really big part of the loop that's necessary for me if I'm going to do solo shows is that I have to listen back to them. I don't listen before they're published because then I would just scrutinize shit and like (laughs) mess up the process. Yeah, I still put out what I did the first run. I don't re-record episodes. That's not what's happening here. But I do listen as they get published and I utilize that as a tool to get better and improve Mm -hmm. and think about ways that this could land better with my audience. And I do think a lot more about the topics themselves and how that weaves into the marketing plan that I have. I think before Mm -hmm. those weren't, those were kind of created on a separate schedule or timeline and like if they crossed that was cool but like that wasn't necessarily the goal or focus but also weighing in I don't want it to feel like it's you're being marketed to all of the time and so I have tried to balance a mixture this is more for like pure entertainment this is like behind the scenes and like for the nosy nellies of my audience which there are many and then these are like the really structured things that I think add value and like deliver on the strategy promise that the show says that it's going to have. 
I think that's great. That's super helpful for our listeners to hear. We have a lot of podcasters in our audience, newer podcasters, I would say. And I'm just wondering if you have kind of like a three-step process or like what is your kind of, you know, if you could say this is my process in three steps or five steps to prepare for an episode, are you outlining and then kind of scripting, like you said, the intro or like, do you do research? Like what is the sort of general step-by-step way this works? Yeah. So I start with, I have a running list of topic ideas and I keep them in the notes on my phone, actually. Like they're not in a business app somewhere. And so if I'm on a walk and I think of an idea, I'll write it down. Or if I just got off a coaching call and a client said something and I'm like, Ooh, I feel like we should dig into that. I'll write it down. Or if I'm in our community and I'm like, we've had seven people ask the same question. Like we need to talk about this. So then I'll write it down. I really, really try hard to not have it just be the things I want to talk about, but really what are people going through? What are the real struggles and challenges that my audience is facing? And how can I equip them with tools or resources they may not even know exist at all? And so when I'm in that topic exploration, it's not necessarily that I know the answer. It's just that like, this is the general vibe of maybe the problem we need to work on solving or like the challenge they're facing. And then I may conceptualize what it will look like to solve that problem when I'm creating more structure. So once I have that running list, I will then look at our calendar and I plotted out a month at a time. I now have like a master podcast outline document that's on a month to month basis. And I will pick, you know, okay, I know we have a webinar on this day, on this topic. I want to be priming people for this that's coming up here. And so I'm kind of slotting things in based on what I think is going to work in correlation with that schedule. And then I will spend time outlining. So in that outlining phase, when I was doing it initially solo, it was really rough. And then I'd go back and fill in the gaps. I think if you're stuck, that's a really good place to start of like very bullet pointy, like very loose outline. I think at this point, I have so much previous experience that like, I can go a lot more easily into this is the general idea. Okay. And like, I can create a more thorough script slash outline in one step. But for most people, I would probably break it into two. But I do want you to encourage you to be intentional about how you start and end things. Like, I think it's really easy to make it just about the topic. But if you have something, you want to promote or some sort of call to action? How are you being really intentional about that? There has been whole periods of the podcast where we had structured segments that we would do every single time or with every single interview. And I think weaving those in can be really helpful. And then I record one at a time. I used to record two at a time, but I found it's easier for me to finish a script and then record right away and then do another script and record right away. So I'm doing less batching in the actual recording part, more batching in the planning part, if that makes sense. Yeah. We struggle a lot. I have always struggled with batching because we get so kind of like singularly focused and obsessive almost on a topic that then it's like, 
we're just into that topic. And so it's hard to then just jump into something else. Like, and I agree, like it's always best for us to record right after we've really talked through and hashed something out and researched it versus like going off of a calendar and just like often when we try to do that, we go to the next episode and then it's like, ah, uh, I don't even remember why we were going to talk about this now. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> like <laughs> that's time. basically every single time we try to batch. Okay. And I just, one last question on that, that I know people are buzzing about in their own podcasts is like, are you using incorporating any like AI tools at all in helping you to do any of this at this point? Cause it's, I mean, they're obviously like, it's constantly shifting in that landscape and the tools are constantly improving. I've played around with using them as well in the outlining process. Just wondering if that's something that you're utilizing at this point. Yeah. When solo podcasting was new, I absolutely leaned into it. And it really felt like an assistant in a lot of ways because I could come in a lot looser with, yeah, I want to talk about this, but like, what's a structure that I could use? I've since developed like an actual script that I have actually put inside of one of my products. We have your digital VA. It's a hundreds AI scripts. And one of them is like a podcast outline. And so there's a structure in which I would follow to like get something that's a bit more thorough. That being said, like I love creating tools like that to help people save time, but I do think you have a lot of autonomy. So I don't think you need to use it all of the time. You are a creative person and you do have a lot of your own thoughts and feelings. And I think while you can leverage AI to do some incredible things, sometimes it feels really weird. Like today, for example, I had an old client who messaged me about a handful of files and she actually, I have never actually worked with this person. She replaced somebody at a company and she was reaching out and I responded, very human voice of like, here's the things, here's what you need. And I could tell like 1000% that she didn't even read the response that she sent back to me. Like it was 100% AI generated email back. And I was like, yeah, what is it? I was like, okay, it was basically a thank you email, but like, it was not a thank you email. It was literally (laughs) like, why did you even bother sending this? So I do think you have to have a thoughtful eye. I think there's a lot of people right now that are trying to leverage it for speed. Mm -hmm. And you can do that. But like, unless your goal is to produce like hundreds of pieces of content a week, you're better off having better quality than quantity, in my opinion, and just staying consistent with that. And so if you're going to use a tool like that, you need to read it thoroughly, (laughs) like maybe even send it back for revisions, which I think you can use AI to do revisions. You're like, that's not what I meant. Like do this instead. And then you have to add your own voice to it. But right now, no, I haven't in a couple of months, not because I don't think you can, not because I don't think it's helpful, but just because it's I, I have more thoughts pouring out of me than I can make stop. So I'm just letting it flow. I have one last question for you on podcasts. I've noticed that you have been doing a lot of webinars and workshops over the last few months, and then you put it on podcast, your podcast feed. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk to us about that strategy? Yeah. So I have done this. I've only done it once. I think it'll happen again before this publishes. The thing is, I have millions of listeners on a podcast. 
it's significantly smaller than my email list and people also are just so busy. And so like, I know the majority of my audience is consuming audio content in a a lot more, the quantity of audio content they're consuming is significantly higher than the quantity of video content. I don't think that's true for every person's audience. I don't think that's true for every industry. It's just true for the audience I've built for myself. And so you need to really be mindful of who are you serving? How are they consuming content and where? And, you know, if I'm going to have the majority of my people consuming content over in this land, like I need to be thinking about how I can produce things that will do well on there. So even thinking about after doing it the first time, The second time I did a workshop knowing I am going to post this as an audio, like I even said things differently than I would have if Mm -hmm. I had known someone was visually going to see it. So Mm -hmm. like spending more time saying the words that are perhaps on the screen and and that kind of thing, because you just have to produce things differently if you plan to use it in both kind of scenarios. But I do think it can be a powerful tool. I have a lot of friends who are leveraging private podcasts also for Mm -hmm. like client facing stuff. I have struggled with that personally. That's like a whole other conversation. Happy to get into it. But I think there's a lot of options there. The main point I'm trying to get across here is just because you can doesn't mean you should. You need to be mindful of who your people are and what is going to reach them the most effectively, the most often, and then show Mm -hmm. up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. And we are huge fans of private podcasts for our client facing for the same reason in that we put all our coaching call replays on the private podcast. So they, if they're unable to attend live, they can listen to it with ease. They don't have to sit and like watch a video, you know, at their desk. They can like listen to it in their car or whatever. And it's been a huge add-on in our programs, I believe. Okay. Okay. Well, Abigail, yeah, we have reached the end of our time together. This was so helpful. Thank you for sharing so much insight from -hmm. your own business and your experience with our listeners. So at the end of every guest episode, we ask our guests to share something that's bringing you joy in your life right now in a tool that can help our listeners hustle in their career or business. Yeah. So in terms of joy, I love nature. And I also love animals. And so, you know, I have been doing really good about going on a walk almost every single day. It has been a beautiful fall. It waited way too long. It's so hot for so long, but it's really nice right now. So I'm soaking that up every single morning. It's been a great way to start my day. And then I'm really trying to spend more time with my puppies. It's so funny when I started to get really busy, you know, late summer, they told me that they missed me. Like one would show up at four o'clock at my feet and like, pet me, pay attention. It's time for you to stop working, mom. And actually listening to them and being like, okay, let's go play. Let's just go hang out. It's been really good to just chill and spend time. Amazing. And what's your hustle? Yeah. So I would say two. The first one I'll mention is a fun new tool that I've been exploring. I think a lot of people have wondered, how are all of these people putting out all of these short form clips that like 
look like they take so much time to produce. Short answer, they're using AI and I had no idea. So (laughs) welcome to the world of tools I didn't know existed. I tested a bunch of them. The one that I've been the most impressed with so far, and I'm sure there's many more, is Opus Clip. It's O-P-U-S dot pro is the URL, but it's Opus Clip. You can submit a long form video. It could have been a podcast that you happen to record the video format for, and it will analyze the video and select the clips for you and then actually give it a virality score. Like, I think this has the best hook. The Mm. AI Mm -hmm. thinks it has the best hook and is the most likely to perform. And then you can automatically like in one step, like have different branded elements. So you can add a logo or you can change the fonts. I mean, there's not a ton of options. Like it's not as creative as like a Canva resource would be or something like that, but you can change the colors and make it feel a little bit more like you. And so I'm all about multi-purposing. And this is something we used to do by hand. Mm -hmm, I paid mm -hmm. a full-time person a hell of a lot of money to pull through Mm -hmm. hours of video footage. This is far faster. Now, I will say it has a lot of load time things that I was not expecting. You don't get instant gratification, guys. (laughs) AI has buffer, kind of like AOL back in the day. So you need to prepare yourself for buffering, but it is working and it is one of the better options. And then the other one I would mention is I have a free workshop I'd love for you guys to check out. I have been really focused on how I can help more small business owners create that financial stability. And I am at the point where my business has supported me and allowed me to create the runway where I'll be able to retire when I'm 44, if I want to. I'll be work optional. And I want to help more people create true passive income and not necessarily in the ways that you guys are automatically thinking. So I definitely would love for you to check out a free workshop I have. You can go to bossproject.com slash untitled. I didn't title the webinar because there was just a lot happening at the time. But if you're interested in figuring out how to create more wealth and utilize your business as an asset, I definitely know you'll enjoy that. So it's bossproject.com slash untitled. Amazing. Thank you, Abigail. Mm -hmm. And so I was just going to say, where else can they find you? But you've just given your website, bossproject.com. I think you hang out on Instagram mostly for social. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. You can find at bossproject on Instagram. My personal profile is linked. I'd love if you'd come follow me personally and say hello. I love getting to know you guys. It really makes a really big difference for me. And then if you love listening to podcasts, (laughs) highly recommend the Strategy Hour. I'm biased for obvious reasons, but so I've been told it's a good show. So, so you've been told by millions so I've of been people. been told. Go check it out. You can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Amazing. Thank you so much, Abigail. Appreciate the time you spent with us today. Thanks so much for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Marvelous. Marvelous helps you build and grow your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. If you're looking for a simple, beautiful, custom branded platform to build and grow your online business, you can learn more at heymarvelous.com.